0: This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 15 through 23. If you wouldn't mind standing one more time as we read that together. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which i paul became a minister let's pray one more time oh father in heaven we thank you so much for your word we ask god that you would lift up our eyes to see the greatness of christ this morning that you would empower me and in, in my words to, to point to you to bring you all the glory. We ask for your help and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, one of the things um, I like to do with my kids at various times as we're walking through the store, maybe driving down the street, is to ask them how much they think things are worth in like dollars. <laughs> Uh, and their their answers are usually pretty pretty funny. Um, there was a period of time a bit ago we were we were you know shopping for a house and we'd ask you know hey buddy like that's a nice house what do you think what do you think that one's worth I say ooh dad I don't know that one's pretty nice like a thousand dollars do you think dad? <laughs> um, they're still growing in their understanding of of how much things are worth of, of what value is. Uh, we adults we think we understand you know what things are worth. We've got a pretty good sense of of value. Uh, But we too are actually often quite skewed in our perception of what is valuable, of what is good and right. And we, Paul says in another place, we see through a mirror dimly. I find that so true. Uh, Trying to like do your hair in the morning or put on makeup looking at like a piece of polished brass. It's not gonna come out too well. I was doing my hair this morning with the lights off <laughs> and I don't know how it turned out. Um, but we, he, Paul says that's, that's how we see, dimly, blurred. Um, we think we understand the world we live in. We have put our trust in Christ can think that we have an appreciation for, for his greatness, but in reality, we see but a small portion. And we appreciate him poorly, all that he is and all that he does. And, and, and so our hearts often are distracted, and our, our hearts are skewed, and we start to drift away towards other things. And we say silly things like, well, well Jesus can't help me with this, so I'm gonna go find help over here. I'm gonna fill, fill in this, you know, fill in the blank uh, as the answer for my problems, for my happiness, contentment, joy, satisfaction, purpose. And the Colossians were being tempted by this same thing. We were told a couple weeks ago by Tony also that, they were, that there was a false teaching that was circulating around this area and something about it has something to do with questioning the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Uh, that you need Jesus plus something else if you want to find the fullness, you know? That was one of their words. And so this passage starts to, to bring us back to, to the answer and Paul's just like, let's just start from the beginning I'm just gonna tell you who Jesus is. <laughs> Let's just put Christ forward, he is, he is the answer. And uh, in this passage, God wants to, to lift up our eyes to catch a glimpse of the greatness of his son. Verse 13 that, that Pedro talked about last week calls, calls Jesus his beloved son. Or in, in the Greek it says the son of his love, which is a, a unique and wonderful phrase. And so that's, that's what we're talking about this morning. Um, God the Father, through the Apostle Paul, is just saying, I'm just going to brag on my son for a bit and tell you who Jesus is, okay? So Jesus, today, we want to hear, is supreme. He is supreme in creation and also in redemption. Minor note before we jump in, it's important to note, this is a hymn. A lot of people like to talk about the fact that this is a hymn to Christ in verses 15 to 20. And scholars just jump all over the hymn thing, like who wrote it, where did it come from, how did Paul get it, why does it fit so perfectly in the letter? Something to think about. Um, Paul wrote it. (laughs) We're gonna take it as written by Paul, carefully crafted words by Paul to exalt Christ. Okay? And it is here in God's word for us to learn from. It has two main stanzas, verses 15 to 18 and verses 18 to 20 are the two main parts. There's not a whole lot of grammar. It's just kind of bullet points of uh, staccato style r- running at us who, who Christ is, things for us to be in awe of. So we're just going to jump in, okay? He is first of all supreme in creation, verses 15 to 18. We'll read verse 15. He is the image of of the invisible god and we can just stop there. He is the image of the invisible god. You and I, Genesis tells us, were made in the image of God. Jesus is the image of God, he says. He is like the 3D reality and we are like little stick figures <laughs> drawn to maybe kind of look like him to represent uh God in some way, but Jesus is the image of God. Quite a claim. We should really let that sink in. Who is God, you might ask. You get a lot of questions, if you ask that. a lot of answers if you ask that question, uh, a million different answers. People have had many different ideas thought up by themselves about, about who God is. You know, we can sit in a room and theorize and wonder. And, uh, but the great thing about Christianity is that it's not philosophy, it's history. There was a man who came into history, walked this earth, who was the image of the invisible God. He told us, he showed us who God is. We too, having believed in Christ, still though, have many misconceptions about who God is in our own mind. Uh, What he's like, what he wants from us, how he wants us to live. Uh, These are usually extensions, projections of our own mind onto God. But, But Christ reveals to us who God really is. I might ask another question, what, what is God the Father like? And sometimes we, we make a distinction, wrongly, between, between them about what they're like. Uh, but Jesus says he, he is the one who revealed God. Jesus, who worked as a carpenter for 30 years, had compassion on the sick and weak, taught patiently, invited the children to come to him, who wept at Lazarus' tomb, who raged at the false teachers, who came in the first place to rescue us, he is the image of God. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. John said, no one has ever seen God. True? True. Has anyone here ever seen God? Have not, Uh, and you shouldn't have either. He said, no one has ever seen God, but the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. That means Jesus has seen the Father because he is. He, he is God, he is fully God. The only God, it says, has made the Father known. A verse we read earlier, Hebrews 1.3 says, he is the radiance of the glory of God. The very brightness, as it were, the shining center that is that the sun, he is the brightness of it. He is the radiance of his glory. He is the exact imprint of his nature. Have you ever done the notary thing where you like sign your name and you have to do the thumbprint? I'm always nervous about the thumbprints. Like I'm gonna get it wrong. I'm gonna smudge it. Will it not be me anymore? But he is, he is like the exact imprint, the perfect exact representation of God. That's who Jesus is. And Paul says he is the son of his love. God is love, John said, And Jesus is the son of his love, both his beloved son, the son who has all the father's affection, but also the the son who reveals, characterizes, expresses the father's love. This is who Jesus is. And it points us to the fact, helpful to remember before we jump into the rest of this, that Jesus existed before he was Jesus, right? He, he, He became Jesus. 2,000 years ago, but before that, he existed eternally as God the Son, and he, he stepped into history. Uh, Jesus is himself fully God, the person who walked this earth, fully God, born in human flesh, but he's not the Father, and he's not the Spirit, but they share the same essence, substance, nature. Got it? Good. All right. Glad we cleared that up. So that, that's true. About him we don't understand the details but we can we can believe that that is true and we should not separate Jesus from the father we sometimes think of Jesus as loving maybe and the father is strict but Jesus is saying this is I am the the true and full representation of the father's heart towards the world we should allow Jesus to inform our understanding of, of God and we should not think of God either apart from Jesus uh, Post-Bethlehem, we think, relate, uh, talk about God through the lens of Christ. So that, that, that's the first phrase here. He is the image of the invisible God. Second, he is the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. This is a term a little bit ripe for some misunderstanding. What does it sound like? It sounds like it's saying he was the first one born like the first created being, and that's not what it's saying. Uh, it sounds like that because it, uh, a person said that, many people have said that. Again, in the fourth century, named Arius said this, there was a time when he was not. Uh, and since then, many other people have said that too. Uh, the Mormons and the, and the Jehovah's Witnesses say that uh, now, uh, that he was somehow the first created great being, but a little bit below God. Uh, but he says that, that's not what he's saying here. Uh, the word firstborn can often mean uh, the first child born to a particular family, uh, but it does not always mean that. It's also not used very much in secular Greek. It's, it's a biblical term, uh, much in the Old Testament, uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament, but it's, it's often referred to someone, not just the first one born, but the, the honor and the title, the status that goes along with the firstborn the firstborn in you know, that culture, being responsible to carry on the family and lead the family into the next generation. Uh, and so God, for example, calls Israel his firstborn son. God actually having no children, this is figurative, right? For Israel to be his firstborn son. It speaks of his status, Israel's status, uh, and responsibility. Psalm, uh, another verse that is pretty interesting in this regard is Psalm 89, verse 27 is a context where God is speaking of the Messiah, uh, the future king that was going to come, and he says, I will make him the firstborn. This is Psalm 89, 27. I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So there, it's obviously not talking about an actual firstborn son, because he says, I will make you the firstborn. He is giving to him this status as the heir the king, the ruler, he says, of of all the earth. Uh, Another reason why this does not mean that Jesus was a a first being born or something is verse 16, it says, because for by him all things were made. So why is he the firstborn son, verse 15? Verse 16 says why he's the firstborn son, because he made all things. And so the reason is, is talking about status. The reason he has this status is because he is actually the creator of the world. And so, what does this mean then? What what is verse 15 telling us about Jesus? It is telling us that Jesus is the heir of the world. He is the rightful owner of the rightful heir, the the king of all kings. He is the ruler of the entire universe. Which is similar also to what we just read in Hebrews 1-2. There's a lot of parallels. In these passages, in Hebrews 1-2, it says that Jesus was appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world, which interestingly also links, links heirship and creation. And so, brothers and sisters, there is nothing that is outside the purview of Jesus Christ. That has been famously said there is not a square inch in the entirety of the universe That he does not claim as his own he is the heir of all things he's also verse 16 the creator of all things it says for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him so he expands now uh they were they were created we'll say in him through him, and for him. at verse 16, it says, For by him all things, the word there is in, which can mean by, but because he says through later, we'll take it as in. Jesus is the sphere in which all things were created. Nothing here was done, nothing was made that was not in connection with Christ. It was in him that God made Everything. Just how Paul often speaks of us being in Christ. We were chosen in Christ. We, we were crucified with Christ. Uh, all of salvation takes place in Christ. Here he says creation took place in connection with Christ. He is also the agent. He says it was through him. Uh, in, in Genesis 1, God spoke, and, and it was so. God created the world by his word. And in John 1, it says Jesus is the Word who became flesh. He is the very agent, the very executor of the Father's will. It was through him that he accomplished the creation of everything. And it also says he is the goal of everything. It was not just through him, it was for him. Jesus is the reason for everything (laughs) that exists. The sun, the moon, the stars, mountains and hills and rivers, uh, work, play, school, marriage, uh, children, friendships, all things, friends, exist for Jesus' sake. It should not be controversial to say, but you don't exist for yourself. Has become controversial to say in our day and age, but we don't exist for us. Your preferences are not ultimate. Our preferences are not ultimate. We were made for Jesus' sake. And how many things, by the way, are under him? It says everything. Everything. In case we weren't sure, he lists them all out. Visible. Is it visible? Then he's ruler over it. Is it invisible? Yeah, it counts too. Uh, Rulers, authorities, dominions, thrones, all, all words referring to uh, powers that exist. We can take them as like powers in our world. Uh, but he, he says invisible. Many take these to be invisible powers, like angelic powers. So even things you don't even know about to be afraid of, he's lord over those things too. There, there's nothing that he is not over. He outranks everyone. He outranks everything. Uh, authority is sadly expressed harmfully, oppressively, all over the world that we live in, which we are well acquainted with. Some places in the world better acquainted with this than we are in America. But he is Lord over the US and Russia and the Federal Reserve and the Supreme Court, over the local city mayor, over the school board uh, chairman. He is Lord over that cruel boss, crooked business dealings, crooked laws, crooked enforcement of good laws, uh, uh, teachers, bullies, abusive parents. He is Lord. And so what can we do then? We, We can entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. Even as we seek relief, as we seek justice in these situations, we can entrust ourselves to him knowing that he Uh, outranks every authority in existence and we can say "I, i i am known i am loved by the god of the universe what can man do to me he is the creator of all things he's also the sustainer of all things verse 17 he says he is before all things temporally before everything that began and in him all things hold together Again, going back to Hebrews 1:3, he upholds the word, the, word, the universe, sorry, by the word of his power. The universe literally would fall apart if Jesus were not sustaining it this very moment. He didn't set it up, wind it up like a clock, and then go take a vacation. He, he is actively involved in the governing of every aspect of the universe. And you say, but science, science is, has understood how these things fit together, right? Uh, a guy named Vern Poitras, I, I, don't, I didn't write down the quote, pretty sure it was him that said it. He said, what we call the laws of nature are merely describing God's ways. They're merely observations uh, of God's consistent work upholding his creation. Uh, there's nothing natural about it. it. It is God actively at work doing, sustaining the world. Science explains that the context of the observable material universe, but it cannot measure the supernatural. What is behind all of it, any more than a thermometer, can measure your mental state. Uh, in different realms, right? It's not, that's not what it's for. Uh, he is the one behind and sustaining everything. He's also, verse 18, the head of the church. The head of the, the body, the church. I take this to be part of the first stanza as the very capstone. This, he says, is the highest part about him being ruler over creation is that he is head over the church. They say, what now? Like, creator of the world kinda of sounded more amazing than head of this small group of people in this room in Pleasant Hill. Um, but it says, Jesus, he, you know, the capstone is not that he's head of world governments, uh, Fortune 500 boards, humanitarian, non-profits, or whatever, the unique application, he says, of all of this divine authority and of all of this power that Jesus has is exercised in where? It's here. It's in the church. It's in humble gatherings of 40 to 60 people, uh, a bit more here, meeting together on Sundays to open the Bible, sing some songs, and pray. Because that is where his power is made known. It is manifest here among us and through us. And so this is a challenge to us, brothers and sisters, to grow in our regard for the local church, local expressions of God's church, because it's important to him. He is the head. He is supreme in creation. Second, we move on to the second stanza here. He is supreme in redemption. Verse 18, second half. He says, for in him, oh no, uh, missed it. Verse 18, second half. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Pause a second on the word redemption. By redemption, this was introduced in verse 14 from last week, in Jesus we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We could say salvation, it is uh, the entire process, what we're talking about here, the entire process of taking us lost people, rescuing us out of our bondage to sin, uh, to Satan, the dominion of darkness, it said, and, and bringing us into his kingdom, forgiving us the guilt of all of our sin, adopting us to be part of his family, to make us fit for his kingdom, and to ever be with him. That's that, whole, that whole grand thing is what we're talking about here under the phrase redemption. Uh, Jesus is supreme in redemption. He says he is the beginning And he's the firstborn. So there's sort of some repetition of of some words here, uh, but with a different nuance. He says he is not just in the beginning, he is the beginning. (laughs) And this pairs together with the word firstborn. And we're going to talk about these together. Um, He has no temporal beginning, which verse 17 said, he's before all things. Uh, John 1 says, anything that was made, he made it. Uh, He's before everything, he has no beginning. He is actually the beginning, it says here, which has a different implication, not just temporally, but also the fact that he is the cause of everything. He is the initiator. He is the uncaused cause of all things. He began everything that has ever begun. It was begun, began by him. He begun it. The word here for, for the beginning is also similar to the, the word, the same root word as the word first fruit, which doesn't sound like the same word at all in English, but it's, it's similar. Uh, and that ties into this next part where it says he is the firstborn from the dead. So again, repetition of the word firstborn, but now a different sense, not overall creation, but firstborn instead from the dead. So like Pedro said last week, he is twice the Lord of all. He, he first created everything, and then he brought everything back. He, he redeemed us. He is twice the heir, twice the ruler. Uh, but the sense here is that, like similar, you might think, well, Lazarus, right? Lazarus was a guy who died and rose from the dead. What's, how can Jesus be the firstborn? But Lazarus died again, poor guy. He had to die twice. Uh, <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead, never to die again. He will never die again. His death, his resurrection, sorry, was the actual defeating of death itself. There there was no more death to ever come back to him. He was then part of the new heavens and the new earth, the the new creation. Uh, That was the beginning of the end. And so his resurrection becomes then the guarantee of our resurrection, of our future resurrection, because it was like the first fruit that promised a full harvest that was about to come. And so his rising from the dead uh, had that that sense of guarantee. It's a guarantee for us. There is nothing more to be done. And so putting these, these, I think these two phrases kind of work together. Jesus is the beginning, he is the firstborn. He is the initiator, he is the founder, he is the cause, he is the guarantee, he is the catalyst of our redemption. Hebrews 12.2, says that Jesus is the founder, also similar word to beginning here. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Interesting connections aside, he started it and he's going to finish it. He, He will carry it to completion. Brothers and sisters, as surely as he is alive in heaven, so too will we who trust in him rise and be with him forever and ever. And it says here, he is preeminent, so that, there's a purpose there, that in everything, he would be preeminent. In case we didn't get it yet, he's first in everything. And this, it says, was the Father's intention. The end goal was that Christ would be preeminent for all of creation to be restored to its rightful place, rightful order, with Christ at the head. And it says here, and we'll, we'll touch on that a bit more in a second. But it says here he's also the fullness of God. It, it pleased God that the very fullness of God would dwell in him. Um, this was, like we said, one of, their, one of the false teaching's words, fullness. Um, and the fullness, Paul's saying, is in him. He has all the fullness of God. But let's move on to verse 20. It says, the fullness of God was not just pleased to dwell in him, but also through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So if that wasn't enough, here comes the climax then of this second uh, stanza, is that he is the reconciler of all things. Now you might ask, what exactly does that mean, that he reconciled all things? It's a glorious verse, but it's also a bit of a tricky verse. Because if we go back and we see what he means by all things, we, we, we see it includes a whole lot. <laughs> he created all things. He sustains all things. He also, what, uh, upholds all things together. He is before all things. He reconciled all things. So in the context looking back, you see all the things, the all things that he uh, is referring to, it includes all the things. <laughs> e- everything that is. And then you ask, well, what does reconcile mean then? Well, reconcile is a word that is often used to refer to salvation. Similar to redemption, quite a, a, but a different, a different focus on it. The, the point of view for the word reconciliation is to say that we were alienated from God. Uh, we were separated. We were justly cast out from God's presence. We were at enmity with God. There was hostility from us towards God and from God towards us for our sin. Uh, And so his just wrath was upon us, it says. And then we were reconciled. And so one dictionary says that it means the exchange of hostility for friendship, a friendly relationship. And verse 21 uses the word reconciliation to point to this exact fact. And so, what does that mean then, to say that he reconciled all things? Uh, What it cannot mean is is helpful to start with. It cannot be saying uh, that the entire universe, including Satan, including hell, is in fact reconciled to God, saved by the blood of Jesus. That is not true. That is not what the Bible teaches. That is called universalism, and that's not what Paul is affirming here. Uh, there's a principle that says that Scripture helps interpret Scripture, the analogy of faith. And we know from other places this is not true. Other places like verse 21 <laughs> to 23 right here has already said that we were alienated from God. And it was only when we came to trust in Him that we were reconciled. It already said in verse 13 and 14 that we were in the domain of darkness and that He rescued us who trust in Him only to be, to be in His kingdom. So it is a frightening and sobering truth. But friends, hell is a real thing. It is a real place. Not all people in the end will be reconciled. And so knowing that 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 cannot be what this passage is saying, how are we to understand this phrase, he reconciled all things? Commentators tend to, to want to then weaken one word or the other. Well maybe it's not all things. Or like maybe it's not reconciled, reconciled. Some people say it means pacified. Like there was some kind of a truce uh, between God and the world, and maybe that's what it means. Um, like he's, there's a ceasefire of sorts in place and just waiting for, for the end to come. And that may be what it means. Um, some go, go further and say that it actually means that people in hell are reconciled in some sense to God now. Um, I, think, I think that's not what this is saying. I think that takes away from some of the personal meaning of the word reconciliation. Uh, You know, like I've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty. Are you really, do you really care about me? Or you just say that to everybody. Uh, I think they say it to everybody. Um, So I I think the solution is to to see that this verse is pointing to a future reconciliation. Uh, There's nothing in here that requires it to be a past tense event. Uh, This is a future reality. It is accomplished already through the death of Christ, but it, it will be realized in the future uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. I think all things here means all things in the final state, all things in the new heavens and the new earth, not including what the Bible calls the outer darkness. Um, and so th- what, what are we to learn from this? We are to learn here the reconciliation in Christ extends to the entire creation. There, there's a cosmic significance, you could say, to the work of Christ. We think of Romans 8 where it talks about the creation groaning groaning within, and us, too, groaning under the pain and suffering that we experience in this world. Have you experienced pain and suffering and loss? Yeah, we have. I know you have. And we groan. We ache. And we, we do feel the world is broken. We do. We do. The world is, is broken. And it's not just broken, it's cursed. Uh, it's cursed because of of our sin and god is one day going to renew the entire world and and remove all pain and suffering and death by means of the, the the blood of his cross because jesus suffered and died and paid for the sin that led to the the curse led to the corruption of the whole world that is the the means by which god then renews and restores the entire world Like the song Joy to the World says, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And so complete reconciliation, brothers and sisters, is what awaits. He will be preeminent in all things. There there will be no more struggles with sin in our own hearts and lives. There will be no more ruined relationships, no more selfishness, no more boasting, no more pride. No more doubts in our own hearts, no more twisted desires, no more misplaced affections. There will be no more sorrow, sickness, pain, death. All of the effects of sin will be gone. We will see Christ as he is, always. He will be first in our minds and hearts, always. He will rule the world directly, perfectly, always. And he will receive praise and glory due to his name, always. And so this is saying, I think, that. That's what it's pointing to. Uh, a good parallel here is, is Ephesians 1 verses 9 and 10, which also speaks of this mystery that God has revealed that God is going to unite all things under the headship of Christ. He will be first in everything. And then it goes further and it says the church is the prototype of that future reality this local church is to be uh, a prototype of the future uh, entirely under Christ, unified creation. More on that next week. Verses 21 and 23, finally, he is not just supreme in creation, supreme in redemption, he is also supremely personal. Verse 21, and you, became a minister. So this is not just in the realm of, you know, the all things. This is now in our, in, you know, right up close and personal. This is you. You were alienated. You were, were, were reconciled. So not just the world is broken. You're broken. <laughs> I'm broken. Uh, it, it is each of us. We were alienated, stranded, unmoored, drifting at sea we were hostile in mind we were doing evil deeds we said you know god should answer to us actually i think we said you know god should play by our rules we we were the ones that were hostile we were the ones that that not just lost confused broken evil <laughs> can you say amen that that's that was me i was i said I did, I thought, evil. That was my heart. And not just all things have been reconciled, you have been reconciled. Note the word now. Now you have been reconciled. That, that's a change that took place. The world has to wait, but, but we don't. <laughs> we get to know the peace of God now, here and now we get to see that glimpse of what's, what's coming in the future, and there's nothing left to do. He doesn't say, you've been reconciled almost, now just fill in this last 1%. <laughs> he says Jesus has accomplished it. It is, it is entirely done. There is no more reconciled you can be to God than you, than you can be today through what Jesus has done. And it was God in his fullness was well pleased it was his kind intention, it was his good pleasure to do this, not begrudgingly. It, he, he delights to rescue you. And note the cost, by the blood of his cross, in his body of flesh, by his death. We've sort of just glanced over it a few times, but, but here, looking at it directly, it was, the cost was paid. The cost was paid by Jesus Christ, it has nothing With what you can offer to God, what you can do, what you might do. He is the firstborn from the dead. He died and he rose. The same Christ who is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the beginning, the source, and end of all things, the one in whom the fullness of God dwells, the very image of God, he died. He was the one who died to rescue you out of love for you personally he says you've been ransomed we have been ransomed we have been rescued brothers and sisters we have peace with the living God and he says he is at work in you he is fashioning you shaping you to to present you like a bride to his son or placed before the father to be perfect blameless not because of us (laughs) not because we accomplished it but because of what he has done which sometimes hurts a bit oh don't prune there that part hurts (laughs) I still want to keep that to myself but he, he is he's working on us and he is pruning us and he is shaping us to be a people for himself the only requirement he says is that you trust him he says if there is an if you continue in the faith which is both encouraging and sobering. It's encouraging because faith is all that is required to receive this amazing gift, the forgiveness of all of our sins, welcomed into the family of God, reconciled to God forever and ever. But it's also sobering because he says, you have to continue in the faith. Our faith is weak sometimes, but but we know that he is the one who sustains us and he is the one that keeps us to the end, but we have to continue to the end. 1 Peter 1.5 says that by God's power, you are being guarded through faith. So which one is it? Yes. (laughs) You must keep trusting. And as we do, we keep trusting because God is, is guarding you and keeping you and sustaining you. It says he is able to make you stand in his presence at the end. And he says that this message is for all that this has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. <laughs> Which doesn't mean that the gospel has necessarily been heard at, at every location in heaven quite uh, under, you know, on the earth so far. But just to say, the message is the same everywhere. It's not for some elite. It's not just for a select few. The same Christ, the same gospel is proclaimed everywhere. And, and he is, he, he's the rescuer of all who come to him. And so... He encourages us, do not shift from the hope of the gospel that has been put before you. Brothers and sisters, let us stay faithful to Christ. He is worth it. (laughs) He is the Lord of everything. Um, Everything one day will be united under Jesus Christ as the head, the gracious head of the universe. And so there is nothing for us to fear. There's nothing for us to fear. No thrones, no powers, no rulers. There is no other hope. Our only hope is Jesus. We just sang, and He is a sure and steadfast hope. And so let us let us stay faithful and trusting in Him, brothers and sisters. You are at peace with the living God, and so we can we can live in the strength of that. It is He that in, that gives us the strength to endure life's hardest trials, because we know that He's preparing us for glory. And so let us model that future reality, that future peace here at Grace Bible Church. Be characterized by this free gift of reconciliation. Let us be at peace with one another. Let us be people who who sow peace, James says, to be peacemakers, quick to forgive, slow to take offense. One commentator says, nothing Nothing lies outside the reconciling work of Christ. Is that true? That is true. Nothing lies outside of what he can do. So what needs reconciling in your life today? It is not outside of Christ's finished work for him to do. And friends joining us, can can, can you say that today? That I am at peace with the living God. Maybe you've been listening and are not quite sure that that applies to you. You might say, well, I don't know. I'm not that bad of a person compared to that, that guy sitting next to me. You know, I think he's pretty worse. But that's not God's standard to compare with, with people around us. Can you, can you read verse 21 and say, that's me. I was hostile. I offended God. I was alienated at enmity. God today calls you to lay down your arms, to turn from the hostility, to turn from that self-centered way of living, the God at enmity way of living, and to see that it was your sin too that put Christ on the cross. And he offers to you this day the son of his love, his beloved son, so that you who suffered death and defeated it in resurrection so that you, you don't have to. You can, be, you can receive his good pleasure, his reconciliation. You can be in his family forever and ever. I invite you to do that today before you leave here. Be at peace with the living God. He calls, he calls it to you. He offers it to you freely. Brothers and sisters, this is our Savior. He is supreme. Let us worship him.